his blood is sufficient. I want you to be seated for a minute. I was, I was, uh, as I was worshiping, I was thinking about the worship team, actually, and how every person on that platform has a testimony about how God has been a, done powerful things in their life, even since I've known them over the last few years, and how we're declaring miracle worker, way maker, if I would go to each person and say, how has God done that for you? They would have a powerful testimony about how God has done that for them. Because he is real. And he has given you power for your life. If there's anything that you hear me say over and over again as one of your pastors is that you have an inheritance and that inheritance was purchased with the blood of Jesus. And God's will for you, God, if you want to know what God's will for you, it is this. For you to walk in that inheritance in your life here on earth. That's how you bring him glory. It's by walking in your inheritance. Not visiting it. Listen. Not visiting it but walking in it, dwelling in it. I'm going to read to you a scripture. And I've, I kind of ended last Sunday's sermon when I preached that the Lord is saying to us, many of us, get up. Get up. Arise. Pick up your mat. And I'm going to read that because that was still in my heart as I went through this week. John chapter 5, the story, when Jesus goes to the place of Bethesda, John 5, verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 9. Later on, there was a Jewish feast, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these porticos lay a great number of people who were sick, blind, lamed, withered, waiting for the stirring of the water, waiting waiting for the stirring of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down into the pool at appointed seasons and stirred up the water. The first one to go in after the water was stirred was healed of his disease. There was a certain man there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus noticed him lying there helpless, knowing that he had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? The invalid answered, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred, and while I am coming to get into it myself, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man was healed and recovered his strength and picked up his pallet and walked. I feel like the Lord is telling us it's time to get up because, see, before Jesus showed up, before Jesus showed up, there was seasons when the waters was stirred. But when Jesus shows up, that season is always here. See, it's not whether God is ready, it's whether we're ready. It's not whether he's able, it's whether we're wanting it. Whether we're desirous, we're so sick and tired of being on that mat we get sick and tired of 
being down and underneath the problem. And Jesus leaves it up to the man to decide whether he was going to get up. And I feel in my spirit that the Lord is saying, what is the one thing that you need to take authority over? I just want you to think of one thing. You may struggle with it all week long. Maybe you've struggled with it for a long time, like this man, 38 years. There's what is the one thing that you need to take authority over? Because Jesus has paid for that authority and has given it to you through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can get up. So that you don't have to dwell underneath that thing. It's time to get up and do it. What needs to change? What attitudes, what thoughts, what actions need to change that those thoughts, those attitudes, those actions that keep you down, that keep you on your mat, so to speak, that you get this thought in your head and you give yourself into it and it overrides you like a cloud over your day or over your week or over your family or over your marriage or over your finances or over your job, whatever it may be. What is it? Some of us can wait and wait and wait because we're looking for something externally, the miraculous season to come. I'm going to sit here, Lynn. I'm going to sit here long enough. And one day, one Sunday, God's going to do it for me. I'm telling you, get up. He's already done it for you. See, the season is here. God is not stingy with his authority. He didn't give power and authority through the blood of Jesus to some. He gave it to anyone who would receive him. And you have, and that's the thing, the greatest convincing that needs to be done is the convincing that you have the power of God in you. See, we have something in this world, and, and it's like the scam artist. The enemy is like a scam artist. One thing that in order for the enemy or someone to scam you, they have to convince you. And the enemy is a scam artist. He's trying to scam you out of the exceedingly, abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. He's trying to scam you out of it. And he is trying to insert the belief system that you should stay on your mat. See, the thing is about this man for 38 years, he has had an integrated belief system that he was to remain on that mat. And some of us believe what the world says about our predicament, about our situation, and that's the enemy scamming you out of your inheritance. See, you cannot, you have the inheritance. The enemy does not have your inheritance. But you can give it away, just like Adam and Eve gave it away. You can do that daily. You can do that in a moment. You can give it away by not receiving the word that God has over your life. Not living in the inheritance that he has. Are you believing the scam artist? He wants you to live underneath 
rather than above. He wants you to be the tail and not the head. He wants you to be heavy laden rather than having your burden light. He wants you to be filled with death rather than life. He wants you to have sorrow rather than joy. He wants you to have despair rather than hope. That is the enemy who's trying to scam you and you do not need to believe him. You need to get up. Whatever that one thing is, we had our life group. Pastor David and I do the life group for the young uh, professional group. We had a good group of Friday night. And I was talking to them. Most of them are like 30 years younger than I. And I thought about how I was when I was their age and how I am now. And how did I get to the point of where I am in my walk with the Lord now? How did I do it? By getting up. When God identified what is keeping you down, Lynn, nothing's holding you back because I have given every power in the universe to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. You have dominion. You have authority. When I had the revelation, it took the revelation. Get up. Get up over that situation. Take authority over it. And I know it has to be daily. It's not a one-moment thing. It is a daily thing to say, I'm going to take authority over that. But it's time for you. There are people in this room that you have something that's, that's really snagging you. It could be even just an emotion. It could be despair over something. And the Lord's saying, it's time to get up. Take my authority. Get up. Decide. You decide what needs to change. You decide. You break the pattern because the power of God is in you. Yes, you may be weak regarding something, but my strength, my power is greater. Get off the trajectory. How do we, you know what? Some of us, we're on a trajectory to something because of decisions and thoughts and attitudes and actions. And the Lord says, get off the trajectory. Get up off the mat. Pick up the mat. Pick up the mat. Why did Jesus say pick up the mat? Because he was never, this man was not to return to it. Some of us keep the mat there because we think maybe this isn't going to work out. Maybe my legs aren't going to be strong enough. Maybe what the world tells me is right. And we keep the mat there. Because we might return to it. And the Lord says, pick up that mat. Change, turn, walk away. Never to go back to that mat. That is a word. Some of us are in between, this is, some of us are in between getting up and walking. We're kind of in the in-between stage. We kind of are, I'm getting up, but I'm not for sure. I'm not for sure about this. I'm in the middle of the get up. And I'm starting to question, am I doing the right thing here? Getting up, I mean, that mat got pretty comfortable. At least I knew the people around me kind of got safe. I knew what tomorrow would be like. It may not have been the greatest thing, but it was predictable. And we're in the in-between. Maybe we're questioning ourselves. We're in between the mat and the walk, and we are being, in a sense, seduced to be double-minded. And the Lord is saying to you, you need to commit to the change. Commit to the change. Go forward. Do not turn back. My power is at work in you. 
I am able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. His presence, his power, his ability is in you. You say, well, I'm weak in this situation. I have failed many times. And the Lord says, my strength is perfect in your weakness. Take it day by day, moment by moment. What I'm going to do, if that word is for you in any way, I want you to stand because I'm going to read a scripture over you. Stand up. I'm going to read a scripture over you. We declare and we decree over the word over you. It's time. It's time for you to pick up that mat. You will have fruitfulness. You will have a godly home. You will have a stable marriage. You will have health and well-being. You will have a sound mind. You will have a right spirit. You will have what Jesus has given to you because this power is at work in you. I'm going to read to you Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 16 through 20. And I want you to receive this. And then, worship team, we're going to go into Waymaker. Okay? So you get ready. Ephesians 3.16. I want you to receive this. This is what Paul speaks over the, the people of the Ephesus church. He speaks this over them. And, and the same way, all these years later, I speak this over you. May he grant you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with power through his spirit in your inner self. Strengthened, spiritually energized with power through his spirit in your inner self. Come on. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith and may you have been Deeply rooted and securely grounded in love. Be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints, past, present, and future, the width and length and height and depth of his love. Fully experiencing his amazing, endless love toward you. And that you may come to know practically through your personal experience the love of Christ which far surpasses your mere knowledge that you may be filled up that you may be filled up through your being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your life completely filled and flooded with God himself completely filled and flooded with God himself completely filled and flooded with God himself now to him who is able to carry out his purposes and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think beyond your greatest hopes beyond your greatest prayers beyond your greatest dreams he can do it according to his power that is at work within you it's within you it's within you according to his work that is within you
you need within you because he is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. He is the light in the darkness. And he says, get up, get up, pick up that mat. You're not going back. You're not going back. You're not going back. Get up, get up, get up, walk in your authority. Get up, that's your destiny. Get up, walk in your authority. Get up, that's your destiny. Your destiny is authority. Take that mat. It, you're not going back. You're not going back. You're not going back to being crippled by something. You're not going back to be defeated by something. You're not going back. You're going to pick up your mat and you're going to walk and you say, well, sometimes I'm going to be weak. Guess what? His power is made perfect in your weakness. You just need more of his power. If you're weak, he's just going to fill you with greater, greater power to give you strength. Now I'm going to pray for you. Some of you, I want you to be in Ephesians chapter 3, 16 through 20 this week. I want you to read it every day. I want you to believe it. Some of you need the transforming of your mind, whatever the situation, that one thing. You need to believe God. Believe his word. Do not believe your emotions. Do not believe the circumstances. You believe the word of God. Believe what he says. We're going to keep it real and we're going to keep it simple. Keep consulting all these other things that tell us to stay on the mat. And the Lord is saying, don't you know, my power is greater. My ability is greater. My wisdom confounds the wisdom of man. My knowledge supersedes. I am all-knowing about you. I am all-knowing about your situation. Let's pray. Father, you love your children. Lord, you're cheering us on. You're cheering us on, and you're saying, I have given you everything you need. I have not held one thing back. I have not held. You lack nothing. You lack nothing. My blood is sufficient. I break every chain. There is not one chain I cannot break, big or small. I break every chain. I am the able one. I am over all things. And my blood that was poured out for you is sufficient. And my work on the cross was sufficient and my resurrection power is the same power that dwells in you so you can walk in that you can walk in the power that that defeated the grave defeated the curse defeated death defeated sin you can walk in that believe my word Believe my word. Do not let the enemy scam you out of the inheritance that I purchased for you. Now walk in it. Walk in it. Walk in it. Walk in it. And as you walk in it, your ankles are going to get stronger. Your legs are going to get stronger. You're going to start walking. You're going to start leaping. You're going to start running. Because when I look at you, I see a marathoner. 
when I look at you, I see a spiritual athlete. When I look at you, I see my strength, not your weakness. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your word. And we receive that. We receive your word. And we don't have this word come on a heart that's going to discard the word when a trouble comes. But, Lord, we're going to let it go rooted inside of us. And it will produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives. And we thank you for that in your name. Amen. God bless you. Aren't you glad we have an open heaven? Aren't you glad heaven's not like just closed up and you can't hear from God, that God can speak to you on a real like live basis where you're hearing his voice and he's communicating his love for you and his plans for you and all the great things he wants to do for you? Aren't you glad for that? About six of you are. The rest of you will work on you. Hey, this morning we're in the middle of our series on who switched the price tags. And I was, we were talking about this sermon title today, and it's, it's kind of an intense one because we're living in a culture that's trying to force its values on us. And I was thinking about this, this whole topic of, of purity versus perversion. And we've switched as a culture from being a culture that lifts up things that are noble and praiseworthy and good and now we're, we're lifting up a whole uh, subculture of things that are distorted and perverted. And, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about water. And we, and we just sang a, a song about opening up the floodgates. And I don't know if you've ever been really thirsty, but when we lived in India, uh, my wife was drinking Diet Coke, so was I at the time. Um, we've both been set free from the, 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 the uh, uh, aspartame addiction. And... Uh, we would, we would drive around, and we had a, a car. We had a little tiny car, and in the back of it, we carried a cooler, and we always had cold, ice-cold Diet Cokes. Uh, and uh, the Indians would look at it, and it always, they'd call it in Hindi, the Kalipani, which means black water. And uh, they, they couldn't understand why we would drink black water. And I thought about in our culture, that's a lot like the Lord has for us a plan to live a life that is pure. And some people think if you live the Christian life, it's boring. It's not exciting. Uh, let me tell you something. I, I have been on the other side of the fence, and I've lived in the world before I came to faith, and I did all kind of things. And I tell you what, it wasn't very fun at times. But I tell you, when I came to faith, I've had the joy of the Lord which Scripture says is what makes us strong and what makes us vibrant. And so I want to talk to you because I, I believe that our culture, and we shouldn't expect anything different from our culture. I mean, people that don't know the Lord, we shouldn't expect them to live as people who know the Lord. But we're living in a culture where the tide and the influence is really being pushed. And I'm really you know, concerned as a, as a parent, as a grandparent, uh, of how our children, our grandchildren are being inundated by a, a worldview that is so anti-Christian. You know, I just read an article about a, uh, uh, I think it was Webster State University, where they have banned InterVarsity Christian Fellowship because one of the requirements for being a member of InterVarsity is that you're a Christian. And so the university banned them as being discriminatory uh, and so InterVarsity pressed a lawsuit against them, and then the university withdrew their lawsuit, but InterVarsity is still going to continue that lawsuit because they want to make a precedent that, hey, you can't discriminate against people because they're Christian. But we live in a culture that very much is anything against Christian values is being beaten down. 
And I believe that we live, if you just turn on television, open a magazine, look at something, you'll see that we live in a culture that is very perverse. And perversion is just not sexual, okay? I'm not going to be talking all about sex this morning, but I, I, it's, it's about our lifestyle. It's our viewpoint of the way we look at things. Things that are pure, the world likes to taint. Things that are pure, the world likes to, to distort and make them into something that they're not. So this morning I want to talk to you is because I believe that Scripture very clearly in Romans chapter, 12, or chapter 1, in verse 21 and 22, it talks to us about why the world has a mindset the way it does. And it says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and darkened in their foolish hearts. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And that's an interesting uh, uh, section of Scripture because what it talks about, it talks about how people thought that they were wise uh, and presented themselves as wise, but really it's futile. It's, it's, it's empty, it's shallow in their thinking. And it says not only are they shallow in their thinking, it says that as a result of that, their hearts have become darkened. And I tell you, when people's minds and hearts are away from the Lord, it distorts all of their viewing. It distorts every perspective they have. It distorts their view of God. Their view of God is this harsh, mean, dictatorial uh, killjoy in the sky that just wants to make your life miserable. And it's more of the list of don'ts than it is of the list of do. And God, God's view of God is very distorted. And it says not only that, it says, but they claim to be wise. I mean, I don't know how many conversations I've had with people that when they're talking to me, I'm thinking, how much crack have you just done? I mean, you are just, your brain is so fried on deception that their view, that, like, that once they find out I'm a pastor... I've got to come up with a new term of what I do. I'm a spiritual enlightener or something like that, you know. But once they find out a pastor, they tell me their theology. And I tell you, some of their theology is like, woo, it's out there, you know. And what I've learned to say to people is, well, that's what you think, but that's really not what the Bible says. And, and if you want to know what the Bible says, you can come to class tonight. Actually, tonight we're studying the book of Acts. We'll be looking at that. And if you haven't signed up, you're still, it's not too late to come, just come. We have plenty of room, and we're going to be meeting in the air-conditioned room over there. The air conditioning got fixed, so uh, it won't be sweating with the oldies, okay? But one of the things that happens to people when they don't know the Lord, they, they have this mindset where they claim to be wise, but actually when you look at their life and you look at it, what they're actually thinking, they're, they're foolish. And I've met many intelligent, foolish people Many people who claim to be wise, they have such great wisdom and, and such insights into things, but it's really, it's foolishness. And God says he gave them over to that. And it's interesting because when you look at people that do this, we, you have these people that they won't accept the truth of God's word, but they'll worship stones and crystals and animals and trees and all these other things, but they won't worship the creator who created all of that. And, uh, you know, we think that, you know, idols are just in a foreign land. But in our culture, we have idols everywhere. We just don't call them that. And so what I want to do today, I want to talk to you about the, the mindset that people have that has turned and distorted the purity of what God wants us to see. 
You see, as Christians, we're called not to condemn people that do that. We're called to be agents of reconciliation. So what we're called to do as believers is to help people to take them from darkness into light. And so one of the things that that the Apostle Paul said when he was writing to the church in Ephesus, which Ephesus was very much like our culture. It was highly intellectual. It had wealth. It had uh, spirituality. It had all these things. Actually, Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, was a center of a cult of Artemides or Diana, and it was, a, it was a pagan high place. And Paul said to them this, he said in Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, he says, but have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. You see, there are deeds of darkness, but they're pretty empty, they're shallow, they're fruitless, they don't produce anything except death in you. And he says, but rather expose them. So why do we do the things we do as believers? Why do we support like a, a ministry like John Pergotti that's saving uh, 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 children's lives in India? Why do we support missionaries that are going into countries and sharing the gospel? Because we want to expose the darkness that is there. We want to expose things. And you know, as believers, it is your responsibility to expose darkness. Do you know that? You need to expose darkness just not in a foreign land, but also in your land. You also, some of us, we need to expose darkness in our own homes. Things that our family has brought into us that we, you know, you you, you could talk about other people, but don't talk about my family, right? That's the mindset we have. But some of the things in our family are the very things that are keeping us back from what God wants us to overcome. And so when we look at this, it says we are to expose them. And listen to this. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. You see, there is a a thing about Scripture is that we're not to, to empower darkness, we're to expose it. We're to overcome it with goodness. We're to overcome it with the truth of God's Word. We're to overcome it with the power of the gospel. And here's the thing. You and I as believers, when we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we can overcome darkness. We can overcome the difficulties of our culture and the things that they're trying to put down our throat, and we can become people who expose that and live in the power of God's Word. So we're, we're as, as Christians, even though we live in a perverse world, it doesn't mean that we have to allow the perversion to taint us. That's right. You change the atmosphere. You don't let the atmosphere change you. You're walking, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, which when you accept the Lord, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and then you can have a a refilling and an overflowing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit to empower you to overcome the areas in your life and to have that the fire of God dwelling in you. The Shekinah glory is what the Old Testament talks about. You can have the presence of the Lord living and dwelling and moving inside of you to overcome those things. And if you do that, one of the things that happens is you can easily live a life of purity. So what is purity? Purity isn't boring. I'll tell you some of the funnest things I've ever done in my life has been doing things for the Lord where the Lord takes you someplace and you do some incredible things and you have an incredible experience with God. You see people's lives changed and people's uh, set free from things. I tell you, there's nothing more exciting than seeing people moving in the plan and purpose of God. So when we're talking about the concept of purity, we're talking about purity is freedom from any type of adulteration or contamination. Now, we live in a culture that is like a, a, a fire, it's a smoke. There's smoke burning. There's things around us that are being consumed. And if you've ever been in a, a place that has a, a very strong smell, 
How many of you ever go to a coffee shop and you come home and you take your shirt off and you're like, wow, I'm thirsty for coffee? Why? Because you have the, the smell of the coffee that's just permeated your clothes. Or you go camping and you, you have a campfire and then all of a sudden you come home and you, you pull something out of the closet and you're like, we should go camping. Why? Because you smell. And, and, and let me tell you something about the scent of smell. The sense of smell is one of the biggest triggers for memory. So what we want to do is we want to be in a place where the aroma of the Lord is present because then it shows us the presence of the Lord is there. And so one of the things we want to do is we want to expose any type of impurity. So when we talk about the concept of, of purity, purity is about freedom from anything that debases you as a person, contaminates you, pollutes you. It's anything that takes you to a place that pulls you away from what the Lord has. Another thing about uh, 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 purity is, and this is something we have to be very careful in the church world, that we don't add things to the gospel that pollute it. You know, that's why we, our motto here is keep it real, simple, and about Jesus. Because we, we don't want to add all these other things to the message of the gospel that becomes a, a, a tainted view and people are weighed down with that. We want to w- let you walk in the freedom that you have in Christ. And in, and in religion, when you're talking about religion or in Christianity and that faith, you know, when we're talking about purity, we're talking about living a life of consecration. You know, I, 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 I was doing stuff last night, and I had television on, and, and American Greed was on. I just, I don't know, I like crime shows. I just do like crime shows. And there was a crime show about uh, New Jersey, and it was the largest sting that the, the federal uh, government ever did on the state of New Jersey. And they went into New Jersey, and they'd, they'd followed a, a, uh, a, a guy that was an investment uh, real estate tycoon, that was involved in a Hasidic Jewish community. And he, as a result of his, uh, his corruption, he made a deal with the federal government to expose crime that was happening on a political level and on a religious level. And what happened was uh, there was a, a large uh, group of people that were doing real estate deals and they were doing money laundering and they were trafficking and get into human, human kidney uh, sales and all of this. They were going through all this. And at the end of the show, the federal uh, the guy from the FBI that was doing the, the interview said that what was amazing about this case was this. He says, I didn't, it didn't bother me as much that the politicians were corrupt. But it was the rabbis and the religious leaders that were corrupt. He's, and this is, it struck me as interesting. He said, it's, it's one thing for a politician to be corrupt. It's another thing for a person who claims to have faith in God to be corrupt. And I thought, wow, that is a truth. You know, we are, we are although there shouldn't be a, a comparison in lifestyle and judgment, but as a, a religious righteous person, we are called to be righteous men and righteous women. We're called to live above the people around us. We're called, not that we look down upon them, but we have, we, we're like Hebrew national Franks. We ha- answer to a higher authority. We respond to the Lord. We respond to what the Lord is calling us to do. And as a result, we live a life of purity, not in bondage, but in freedom. And if you read through Scripture, one of the things that is amazing, Scripture clearly teaches us that God wants you and I to live a life of purity. If you look in the Old Testament, in the book of Habakkuk, in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, it says, listen to this. It says, Lord, 
Are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. You see, God's, from God's perspective, God always will expose impurity for the purpose of purifying people. His purpose isn't to condemn you, but his purpose is to, to, to get that out of you because he realizes that perversion destroys you and others around you. You know, you, so many times people think, well, I'm just involved in something that's not affecting anyone. No, it is. It's affecting everyone around you. You may not be aware of it, but the, the sins that people are involved in affect people around them. You know, back to that show, The American Greed. It was interesting because the actions of one greedy person can affect hundreds or thousands of other people. The, the effect of one drunk driver can affect a whole community. The effect of one person making a very bad decision can affect an entire community. The effect of one person doing something rebellious to God can have a ripple effect to many, many, many generations of their family. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to allow people to be set free. You know, and if you look through the scripture in Leviticus, I don't have the verses up here, but Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, it talks about how God is holy. And as a God who is holy, his people, we take on the character and attributes of God. Why? Because we have him living in us. And it says if he's living in us, he's moving, he's active. He's like a two-edged sword. He's dividing the soul from the spirit. And he's telling us this is the way you should live your life. Not only does Leviticus 11.45 tell us that, but if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, I don't have that up here either. It talks about God being perfect. And you and I can say, well, I could never be perfect, but you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you to help you to live a perfect life. You may not have it all together, but you have a God living in you that has it all together, and he wants to draw you to him. When you get to the New Testament in John chapter 1, or 1 John 3, 3, it talks about how God is pure, and as his sons and daughters, we take on his characteristics and attributes. And so God wants us to live that kind of life. But what happens is we live in, in, a, in a culture that has been tainted by sin. But that was never God's plan or purpose. How do I know that? Because if you read the book of Genesis in chapter 1, and if you read uh, uh, the creation story, it says over and over, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. He looked at his all of creation, and he says everything about it was good. And then sin came in, and that sin tweaked the plan and purpose of God. And just like sin gets into our life, it destroys. And sometimes it's a, it's a small, small thing that just begins to tear a hole in it and tear a hole in our lifestyle. And sometimes it's a ravenous cancer that just devours everything in its path. But I'll tell you the truth about sin. Sin's end is always the same. It's in destruction. And God came and sent his son Jesus so that we could overcome that. We can overcome sin and the power of sin. We can overcome the power of disease. We can overcome the power of death. And he says, that's why, oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone. And you see, one of the things God wants to do is, is you know, we, we think about the whole concept of, of living a life of purity. We kind of 
pigeonholed it into one little thing. But look, listen to what the Apostle Paul says as he's writing to, to, the church, uh, to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. He says, therefore, my beloved, which is basically saying, hey, you people that I love so much, let me tell you something about what God wants. Just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more so in my absence. That's an interesting verse because it's really easy to obey in your presence, right? Yeah. Any, any parent knows that. Oh, yes, Mommy. Yes, Daddy. I'm obeying. And as soon as you leave, they disobey, right? Are they obeying? No. But he says, but even more in my absence, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purpose. Do you know that God wants to work in you on behalf of his good purpose? He wants his purpose to be fulfilled in you, and his, his purpose in you is to demonstrate how you can live a life of purity and live in joy and peace and all the things that God has for you. And then he says, not only that, he says, do everything. Oh, oh, some of us have what we call a textual variant. If you don't know what that is, that means you, you don't claim this is in your Bible. Do everything without what? Complaining or arguing. How? We shouldn't be complainers and arguers, you know? I remember when I was a younger pastor, people would want to argue theology, and, and I, 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 you know, I, I love to read, and I, I've studied a lot, and I've got a bunch of funny initials behind my name that prove that I've got an education, and I used to think that I would argue with people, but one thing about arguing with a person that doesn't believe you're really just wasting your time. And I've given up. When people start to argue about Scripture, I'm like, fine, I'm not going to argue with you. You know? I remember one of the people that mentored me said, you know, ne never argue with a fool because they've got years of experience and they'll beat you. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to argue with a fool. Scripture says that those that don't believe are foolish. But it says here that one of the things that God wants to do, he says, he says, he says he, that he wants you to be blameless and pure. Okay, now if, if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is his plan different for you than it was to the church in Philippi? Because his plan for the church in Philippi was that they'd be blameless and pure. He said, so we can be children of God without fault in a crooked, crooked and perverse generation. So Paul was addressing a generation 2,000 years ago that was crooked and perverse. Now, since, since, since the fall of mankind, cultures and generations have been crooked and perverse. Nothing's changed. We may be on a faster track, a faster sense of acceleration into perversion, but it's, it's always, that's where we're living. And we're not called to be removed from it because what we're called to be is salt and light. Salt is a preserving agent, and light is an exposing to expose the deeds of darkness. That's why he says in the next part, he says, in which you shine as lights to the world. What do lights do? Lights expose darkness. And what you and I are called to do, according to the Apostle Paul, is to be people who expose darkness and allow light to shine into it. And one of the things that we're called to do is not be fearful of this generation, but to address it because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the power, you have all the power you need to overcome darkness in your life and in the, the area around you. You have all of that. And it says, as you hold forth to the word of life, 
You hold forth to the word of life, God's word, in order that you may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Did you ever do something and you got done with it? And man, that was a waste of time. You know? And you usually go around telling people, hey, you know what I did this week? I wasted seven hours watching reruns of Friends. I, I mean, I was just, it was, it was so, I mean, how many of you like to boast? Nothing wrong with friends, but, but you know, if you, you do something you don't, you're not really proud of, you're not going around going, hey, I did something really stupid this week. Let me tell you about it. I did something that was really a waste of time and energy. You know, I went to the store and they had stuff on sale for $2 and I spent $12 on it. And I told them to keep the $10 because I just enjoy wasting my money. We don't boast about that, do we? No. And he says, one of the things that we want to do, he's, he says, that we don't boast. But it, look what he says in verse 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too may be glad and rejoice with me. You see, Paul's saying to the church in Philippi, I want you guys, I want you gals to live a pure life because you can walk in the authority that God has for you. How do I know that? Because he was really quoting the words of Jesus, if you look at Matthew chapter 5 in verse 13, 14, 15, and 16, Paul the apostle who had a radical conversion experience. Remember, Paul was a very religious man. He had a form of religion, but he denied the power of who Jesus Christ was. You know, a lot of times in church, we have people that have a form of religion, but they're not walking in the power of what God has for them. And so what Paul does, he says, hey... I take all of my religious tradition and I consider it worthless so that I can know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the power of Christ's resurrection is what helps us to overcome perversion and distortion of who we are as men and women of faith. That's why Jesus, when he was uh, talking about purity in, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 says this, you are the salt of the earth. How many of you love salt? You know? Love salt on your food, you know? I do. Salt, you put salt on tomatoes. You put salt on everything. She salts everything. Her dad would get chips. We'd get salted chips at a Mexican restaurant, and her dad had put salt on them before he ate any more salsa. I was like, you know, your doctor says you shouldn't eat that much salt. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> he says, but salt is a preserving agent, and not only is salt a preserving agent, it's a flavor-enhancing agent. You see, one of the things that we are called to be in this world is attractive to people because of the lifestyle that we live. You know, we're called to be people who are attractive to those that don't know Christ. I always like when people, they, they'll ask me a question and I'll tell them, you know, like I, I, when we go out and we'll shop and we'll, Lynn will go to the thrift store, we'll go to the thrift store, and she takes me with her because I get the senior citizen discount. And I remember the first time we were in Las Vegas, and I was buying a birdhouse, because if you come to our backyard, you walk behind our house, Simon knows, we've got like 30 birdhouses in my backyard. You know, it's like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and I'm the cuckoo. And uh, I bought this birdhouse, and I said to the lady, yeah, I'm 55. She goes, you are not. I said, yeah, I am. I said, do you want to card me? And she, yeah, and I pull up my driver's license. She goes, wow, how do you look so young? And I didn't tell her, well, I shave all the gray off every day. That's one way. Um, but I, I said, well, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't run around. You see, there's an attractiveness to people that are living a wholesome life. And you and I, when we live a wholesome life, we're salt. We enhance people's interest in what we're doing. And what Jesus said was this. He says, 
And how can it be made salty again once it loses its salt flavor? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and be trampled by men. But he says, you, referring to us, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, nighttime, I love driving around looking up at the top of the hills and all the houses on the top of the hills. You know, because you can't hide a house that is on the top of a hill, especially if the lights are on. If everything else is around it is dark and you put a light on the top of a hill, you could see it for miles and miles and miles. And you and I are called to be people who are raised up on a hill and are light shining into darkness. That's what we're called to do as believers. We're called to be examples of the grace of Jesus Christ to a world that's living in a distorted view. And he says, he says we're, we're like a light that is, we neither uh, do people with a light put it under a basket. Why? Because when you put it under a basket, it's hidden. And a lot of times, I find Christians don't want to tell people about their faith. They'd rather hide it under a basket because they don't want to be embarrassed. But let me tell you something. When you're living an authentic Christian life, and Jesus Christ is living and moving and having his way in you, and you're living a life of purity, you don't need to be ashamed of anything. I tell you, I've done a lot of things I've been ashamed of before I was a believer. I've done a lot of things I've been ashamed of that I don't want to share with you. But I tell you what, I've never been ashamed of living a life with the Lord. Because it allows you to walk in freedom. Those who the sun sets free are what? Free, free indeed. So what we want to do is we want to walk in that freedom. And he says, you know, what we do, we shine before men. Look what he says in verse 16. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds. And what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, there's something about us when we're living a, a life that is pure that people are drawn to that, and they'll glorify the Lord. You know, they may not even know that that's what they're doing, but they'll say, wow, God's been really good to you. I love when people use religious terms in a non-religious way because to me, that always opens a door to talk to them about the Lord. And I, I love that. I love when a person uses an expression. I just, I'll, I'll just piggyback on their thought. And, you know, we live in a culture that's very, very perverse, very pagan, but yet we're called to be people of light to that world. That's why Paul says to the church in Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 18, he says, you know, you need to flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because all sins that a person commits are outside of their body, but whoever sins sexually, it's actually, it's on their own body. And we live in a culture, there's a, a new show on TV, I just saw the commercial for Love Island or something like that. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's, it's not love, it's perversion. It's about, you know, you know, this stuff that's going on, and, and we live in a culture that glorifies that. And one of the things that we're called to do is we're called to be agents of light. We're called to be people that expose that. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to realize that, you know, the Apostle Paul's talking to the church in Corinth. In that same chapter, he says this, in the, in the section around that passage of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, he says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Right? So what Paul's saying is, hey, I could do whatever I want, but not everything's going to be a benefit to me. He says, everything is permissible for me, but it... It will, I will not be mastered by anything. You see, that's the key as a believer. You cannot be mastered by anything except the Lord. The Lord is the one who is our master. The Lord is the one who is our savior. He's the one that has all control. And he says in verse 13, food for the stomach and stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not intended for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised 
the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then make my body or my members of Christ united with a prostitute? Never. Why? Nor do I uh, know what he uh, who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her own body. For he says, the two shall become one flesh. You see, there's a, there's a thing when we are, are connected with perversion that there's a soul tie. And one of the things that we have to do is if we've been intimate with anyone, and it's not just physical, there can be emotional intimacy. You can have emotional intimacy with something that distorts your view of reality. You know, we're living in a, in a culture of augmented reality. We're living in a culture where we have fantasy, we have role-playing, and we have, you know, things you could put on over your eyes, and you could see things that aren't there, and you could live in a fantasy world. And you can get engaged in that, and you can allow your mind to get in places that it really shouldn't be. And what Scripture talks to us about is that we need to sever anything that is a tie that connects us with something that isn't healthy. It's really quiet this morning. Let me tell you, I don't tell you this to embarrass you or to shame you. I tell you this so you can be set free. Because freedom... The Lord came to give us freedom not to be in bondage. The Lord came that we could overcome, that we could not be overcome by things. The Lord came so that we could walk in the authority that he has rather than in the suppression under something else's authority. And one of the things God wants to do is he wants to set us free and set you free so you can walk in purity in all areas. He doesn't want you just to come on Sunday morning and, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I, I was over someone's house the other day. I was driving by and I got a prayer concern. I was right around the corner from their house, so I stopped in to pray with them. And I walked in. I was wearing shorts and a tank top and a baseball cap and sunglasses on. I walked up there and like, oh, pastor, I didn't recognize you. Well, you know, a lot of us, we like to spruce up when we come to church, you know. But the reality is we could clean up the outside, but the inside isn't clean. We're just deceiving ourselves. And God wants us to be clean inside and out. Who we are on Monday, who we are on Thursday, should be the same person we are Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. You know? Or for some of you that come late, 1030. Okay? What we do is we are the same. However you slice us, we should be the same. We should be the same everywhere we go, whether we're with Christians or whether we're with non-Christians. Our, our talk shouldn't be different. Our lifestyle shouldn't be different. Our jokes shouldn't be different. What we watch shouldn't be different. We should be the same wherever we at. Why? Because we're united with Christ. And if Christ is flowing and moving in us, then we, we're not, we're not a, a controlled by something else. So I thought about this whole concept, and I thought about what, what are some of the things that we've allowed to attach to ourselves that have caused us to either have our minds or our lives connected through this kind of soul tie with someone. And I thought one of the things that you could deal with when you're, you're dealing with soul ties is they need to be broken off of you because one of the things that happens when we have an unhealthy attraction to something is we will allow that person or that situation to mistreat us or abuse us, and we think it's normal, you know? You can be in a relationship with someone that you can't stop thinking about them and that's unhealthy unless you're married to them. Yeah. You know? Yep. You can be in a situation where you can't seem to function without having some sort of communication with them. And if that's not your spouse, it's not healthy. You know, you can bring emotional pain and depression to yourself 
when you're thinking about these things that you have to have. And it's not just, we're not just talking about a person, but you can have an unhealthy relationship to a thing. You know, we live in a culture that elevates vehicles and sporting events and personal possessions as things we could love. They're inanimate objects, but we're told we could love them. You know, and I understand, well, I love my car, you know. You may not love my car. I love my car. I love my little cube, you know. I love its kind of funky little car. It's got a Mickey Mouse horn, and it's got a Mickey Mouse cup holders in the front, you know. And you beep the horn, and it's like, eh, eh, you know. I want to put an air horn on it and just scare people, you know. But people say, well, I love my car. And they don't mean I have a physical attraction where I'm just up and hugging it. But we can love things that are not healthy for us. We can put undue attention on things that are not healthy for us. And as a result of that, we, we actually make them idols. You know, your, your job could be an idol. And I thank God you have jobs, those of you that have jobs. But your job can be an idol. Your possessions can be an idol. Anything that we have that we place more affection and love on than the Lord can be an idol to us. You know, if you would ask my wife, who does she love first? She'll tell you every time the Lord. I'm second fiddle. Sometimes if I'm a jerk, I'm third fiddle. Okay? <laughs> but, you know, you love the Lord first, and all these other things shall be added unto you. And what God wants to do is God wants us to live a life that's pure. And let me, let me, let me put a, 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 a plug in for something. If you have an unhealthy attraction or connection to something or someone or something that's happened in your past that you, seem, you can't seem to break off of, you really need to talk to Kim. Kim, Kim's sitting over in the back. Raise your hand, Kim. Kim runs our Sozo ministry. It's a prayer ministry. You really need to talk to her and have, an, a, have, a, have a, a recalibration session. You know, uh, I've done it. My wife's done it. I encourage it. You know, sometimes you just need to allow the Lord to come into a place in your life and speak healing to you and speak restoration to you and speak wholeness to you because a lot of times we get things in us and sometimes we're not even aware of what they are, but the Lord wants to set you free. The Lord wants you to walk in freedom and liberty. He doesn't want you to walk in bondage because when you're walking in bondage, there's always something that is, is attached to you that you're ashamed to share. Yeah. But when you're walking in freedom, who cares if it's, you've already dealt with it. Yeah. So you want to talk to me about my past? That's great. It's all under the blood. Yeah. I don't walk in condemnation. Why? Because I'm in Christ. Yeah. And Christ has come to set me free. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things he wants to do is, is you know, as, as Christians, a lot of times we think we have the purest motives. You know, that we, we do everything the right way. Proverbs, I love the book of Proverbs because it's considered one of the wisdom books. And it's one of the things we'll be studying probably in two weeks in this Sunday night class. We'll be looking at the Proverbs. But Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them. Yeah. No, not, you don't know. Everything I do is right. I, I don't know. How about you, Jose? Everything you do is right, right? Perfect, Perfect right? We're perfect. That's why we like each other. But what does it say? But the motives are weighed by the Lord. You see, we can deceive ourselves into thinking everything we do is right. And yet the Lord's saying, yeah, but how do you align with this? How are you in alignment this way? You may think everything's good horizontally, but how are you doing vertically? Is everything good between you and the Lord? And one of the reasons I think a lot of people don't like to read the Bible is because they read it and they're like, Get over that fast. Okay. It was dealing with something in my life I didn't want to address, you know. And, oh, can't read that either, you know. 
Can't, oops, oops, can't read that. Let me, just, let me just do a devotional on something outside the Bible. Why? Because the Word draws us into the Lord. You know, a lot of times we pick on young people because of something they're involved in. And I remember the fir- very first passage of Scripture I memorized as a, as a believer, as a young believer, was 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young, but set yourself as an example to the believers. How? In speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. You see, we're called, no matter if we're young in age or young in faith, old in age or old in faith, we're called to live a life where our speech, our conduct, our love, our faith is lived in purity. So how do we do that? How do we live a pure life? I think the very first thing we do is this. That was, by, by the way, all that was my introduction. Okay? So some of you just lost the victory right there, okay? Only kidding. So how do we live a pure life? The first thing we do, we, we do what the psalmist says in Psalm 51. We ask the Lord to give us a pure heart. We ask the Lord, if there's areas in your life that you're struggling with, there's areas in your life that you just can't seem to overcome, Ask the Lord to give you a pure heart. David, now King David was the king, but he had done some despicable things. But yet one of the attributes of David's life that was, was admirable about him, he always went back to the Lord. And so he says in Psalm 51, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. You see, there's something about asking the Lord to purify us and it would create a, a spirit within us that is steadfast, that is tenacious, that is able to go through and continue. The second thing we do is, and this is really important, we have to have our minds and our consciences cleared. You know, the mind is, is, is either a beautiful or a terrible thing. You can, you can hear something or see something, and you can remember it a lot longer as it's, it's embedded in you. And Titus Paul's letter to Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 15. He said, to the pure, all things are pure. That's why sometimes when people tell you a joke and you don't get it because they have a double entendre, they have a secondary meaning to it that may be vulgar or perverted, you don't get it and you're looking at them like, and they're all laughing and you're like, why? Because to the pure, all things are pure. But to the unpure, all things are unpure. He says, and, and those, but those who are corrupt... And do not believe, nothing is pure. And as a result of that, in fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Now, how many of you like to have something that's corrupted? How many of you like the software in your car to be corrupted? How many of you like the navigational system in your car to be corrupted? How many of you like your plumbing to be corrupted? Jose would love that because he's a plumber, you know, and you need to call a bound plumbing and he'll come take care of it. He'll correct your, your corrupted plumbing. You know, but how many of you would like something that was corrupted? How many of you like your teeth to be corrupted? You know, what happens when there's corruption, there's decay, there's death. And one of the things we have to do is we have to ask the Lord. And he, he, it's interesting that T- Timothy, uh, or Paul writes to Titus rather and says this. He says, first deal with your intellect. Deal with the way you think about things. That's why it's so important to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. He says, not only do that, but he says, talk about your conscience. You know, and what is your conscience? Jiminy Cricket says, and let your conscience be your guide. You know, there's that inner truth that the Holy Spirit speaks to you when you're in violation of his word, and he says, I want you to do this. I want you to change this. It's a list of things that are internal that you know you should do, but you don't do. He says, address that. You see, because 
Paul wrote to Titus, and he also wrote to Timothy. In Timothy chapter 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he talks about people that are, their consciences are seared. And what is a seared conscience? It's the fact that when you do something once, it bothers you. You do something a second time, it doesn't really bother you as much. And by the fourth or fifth time, it doesn't bother you at all. Why? Because there's a searing of your conscience. It's where the conscience is where the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and you go, oh, yeah, I shouldn't do that. But the more you ignore that still small voice, the least amount of ability you have to correct it because it becomes normal for you. And what God wants you to do is to cleanse your mind so that your heart and your mind and your body is in alignment with God's word, and then your conscience gets back into right alignment with him. And then he says this. He says, and have your minds transformed. Romans chapter 12. This is probably... My wife and I were talking last two weeks ago, and, and she said, what verse would identify you? And she said, you know, you remind me a lot of the Apostle Paul, which was a, a high compliment, you know. She said, because you exemplify Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. And what is Romans 12, 1 and 2? He says, because of God's mercy to us. Don't you love the mercy of God? Aren't you God, glad God is merciful to you? You don't get what you deserve. You get what his mercy wants to pour out on you. He says, because of God's mercy, you offer yourself as a, a sacrifice to God, a pleasing and acceptable offering. You know, God's, God's not interested in your wallet. God's interested in you. Amen. He's interested in you offering yourself to him and saying, here am I, God. Use me in whichever way you want. Use me at my workplace, use me with my family, use me with my friends, use me with my schoolmates, use me whichever way you want. And then he says this, he says in verse 2, do not be metamorphed, is actually the word he uses in the original language. He says, don't be transformed, don't be forced into the mold of the world. Don't allow yourself to be crammed in like Play-Doh into a Play-Doh machine so when the world squeezes you, you come out like them. He says, but be transformed... By the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? You get yourself into the word of God. And something happens when the word gets in you because the word became flesh, according to John chapter 1, and dwelt among us, which was Jesus Christ. And when you get into the word, something happens in you. You're transformed. There's an internal action that happens inside of you that God begins to work in you in ways, and it draws you closer to him. And, and the transformation of our mind is so important as believers. And then finally, he says this. Worship team, you want to come up? He says, what you need to do too is you need to really guard your eyes. As believers, we need to be very careful of what we expose ourselves to. You need to be careful of what you're allowing yourself to see and be exposed. Now, you don't walk around like this, you know, but as a believer, it's interesting because the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, verse 34 and 35 says that your eye is a lamp unto your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body are full of light. But when they're unhealthy, the body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. You know, I don't know if I, one of the privileges I get to have as a pastor is I get to be with people when they pass from this life into their eternal reward. And I've been with many people, and Scott, I know as a nurse in the medical profession, you see this as well. 
But it's interesting that when a person passes away and you're with them, there's a, a change in the color of their eyes. There's a change in the consistency of the way their eyes look. And really what they're doing, they're transitioning from the mortal to the immortal. They're transitioning from physical life on this planet to eternal life with the Lord. And there's, there's actually, it's interesting, you see this with humans, you see it with animals. Uh, there's, there's a physical recomposition of the eyes, a restructuring of the eyes. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how Paul says in, first, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 and 11, that the, the eyes is a lamp unto the body, quoting Luke's gospel here. And he says, whenever the eyes are healthy, the whole body is full of light, but whenever they're unhealthy, your body's full of darkness. And I thought, how important is it as believers to guard what we expose our eyes to? Have you ever seen something and you go, oh, wish I didn't see that? You know? I got an email this week, someone sent me, of a pastor in India that we knew that was involved in a motor accident, motorcycle accident. He was riding his motorcycle and he was killed. And they actually sent me a video of him laying on the ground bleeding out. And it was like, they said, you need to watch this. And I didn't know what it was till I turned it on and it was like, oh, I don't want to see this. Why? Because that's not the last memory I want of that brother, you know? You see, when we are exposed to something and we look at it, it gets into our spirit. And that's why it's important as believers to make sure what we expose ourselves to is pure. Make sure what we expose ourselves is healthy. Make sure we expose ourselves that is alignment with God's plan for us. So when I was thinking about this message and the price tag that's been switched in our culture, I want to pray for us that God would make us pure men and women. You know? Doesn't matter what our past is, doesn't matter what we've exposed ourselves to, doesn't matter what we've willingly participated in. But the beautiful thing is, the Lord gives us an opportunity right now to say, Today's a new day. Father, we want to thank you that we can gather to here in the middle of July on a hot, sunny day, and we can come before you and we could say, like King David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, no matter what we have been exposed to, no matter what we may have placed ourselves into, no matter what we have allowed ourselves to be uh, affected by, that, God, you would create a clean spirit within us. I pray that right now the washing of your word would flood down over us, God. I pray it would be like standing in a waterfall of your presence, that, God, your Holy Spirit would transform us from filth to cleanliness, that, Lord, you would transform our thinking, Lord. I pray that, God, our, our minds would be touched by the Holy Spirit. I pray that, God, that the, the sensitivity of our conscience would be, would be heightened to your voice. I pray that the Holy Spirit that dwells in us God would, would be our, our hearing, our spiritual ears, as the Apostle Paul said to the church in Revelation, to those who have ears to hear, let them listen to what the Spirit is saying. I pray that, God, you would heighten the sensitivity and the frequency, adjust our hearing, Lord, our consciences, Lord, to hear your Spirit speak to us. And I pray that, God, as we spend time in your word, 
that we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that we've allowed in our mind, that God, right now, you would just flood it out. I pray that the presence of your Holy Spirit would flood each and every one of our lives because of your incredible love for us, because of your incredible grace for us, because of your incredible compassion for us, because of the incredibleness of what you've done on the cross for us, that, God, that you overcame death and sin and and perversion, and, God, you pour into your sons and daughters a spirit of purity, a a spirit of holiness, a spirit of the, the presence of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that, God, that our our minds would be attracted to truth. I pray that our minds would be attracted to the truth of your word and the truth of what the Holy Spirit wants to lead us and guide us into. And I pray that, God, our eyes can be focused on you. Lord, I pray that when there's things around us that are trying to distract our attention from you, that, Lord, your spirit would just so powerfully move on us. And Lord, I pray that if there's any temptation that comes our way, that God, you would overcome that temptation, that we could choose to believe you and your word rather than allow us to believe that a temptation is stronger than the presence of the Spirit in us. And Lord, we just thank you for that, Lord. We just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your loving kindness. I thank you that you brought us here together, Lord, to hear this word so that we can be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, if, could you change to that slide that says the one, uh, your blood can set the addict free right now? I want you to change that. Okay. Okay. You know what? Um, some of us need to connect the dots today that the Lord said, get up, get off your mat and walk with Pastor message that part of this shifting from perversion to purity in our lives is to make changes that we have to say you know what lord what is the change that needs to be made because the lord says listen i set you free but we cannot be holding on to something a pattern some of us need to commit to not watch certain things some of us We have triggers that trigger us in our thought life. And I'm just going to be real with you because we're not going to let the enemy defeat you in this area. You have triggers. And husbands or wives, your spouse may have a trigger. And you're to be a person who honors them. And you don't watch it either. Because you want your house. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you don't know what kind of triggers your children could have. So you know what? We need to make decisions, and then we commit to those decisions to say, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord because this culture is trying to penetrate the minds and lives of this generation to live lives of perverse views on things, darkness, deceit. And you know what? It begins with us. You have authority to make changes. This is the thing. It's not just singing a song. It's just not hearing the word. It's saying, okay, Husband, wife, parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, adopted aunt and uncle. What changes do I need to make? If my family is struggling in this area, if I'm struggling in this area, what decision do I need to make? How do we need to, because we have authority to make this decision. We're not victims, people. 
You got the authority. Pastor David just told you. This, this song tells you his blood has set you free. His blood has set you free. Some of us, we need to forgive ourselves. Some of us are bound to something because we can't forgive ourselves for participating in something. And the Lord says, you know what? You need to forgive yourself for that. Pick up your mat and walk. Quit dwelling on your failure. Quit dwelling on that. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to release you to go. And those of you that need prayer, there's prayer teams on both sides. But you know what? This is a significant message Pastor David has preached in our culture right now. One of the greatest strangleholds, one of the greatest uh, strongholds in the minds of people is this very area. The enemy is working hard to shift darkness into light. He is trying to make what is darkness into light, and we will not have it. You will not have it in your family. You will not have it in your homes. You will not have it in your marriage. You will not have it in your thought life. You will not have it. Hello? You will not have it, right? <laughs> right. Come on, you got to stand. You're going to walk in your authority. You're going to bring light to the darkness. Father, we will not have it. We will not adopt. We will not be force-fed by the world. We will not believe what the world is trying to say. But we are agents of your light. We are agents of righteousness. Yes, we have failed, but Lord, through your power, through your forgiveness, through your strength, we can walk in authority. And Lord, we dedicate our lives to you. We dedicate that we will live lives of purity because the purity is power in our lives. Lord, we will be agents of healing to people around us because we are pure. We will be safe people. We will be people that children can run to because we're safe and we're pure and we're pure of thought and we're pure of motive. And people are looking for people who are pure of thought and pure of motive to help them, to heal them, to rescue them, to deliver them. And Lord, you want to raise up your people your children in this earth and we will not fail you because you have given us the power of the Holy Spirit and Lord we commit in those areas of our lives where we struggle today we commit to you and Lord I pray Father right now for those in this room that you would reveal to them areas that need to be changed if they're snags things that are trying to, to trip them up things that they may struggle with, things that they may have struggled with for years. Lord, that the enemy wants to try to defeat them or, or, or say, you're going to never get over this. That is a lie. That is a lie. Your blood is sufficient. Your blood is sufficient. Your blood is sufficient. Doesn't matter how you were brought up. Doesn't matter if your dad or your uncle or your grandparent that this issue has resided in them. It is time for you to break the chain. It is time for you to walk in authority. It is time for you to start the heritage of faith and freedom in this area. It's time. Pick up the mat and walk in that purity that the Lord bought for you with his precious blood. Father, we just declare that. 
in your name over the lives of these people. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For this house, we'll serve the Lord. For you, as you go to your homes, you will serve the Lord. You will teach your children how to serve the Lord. You will model it. You will cultivate it in their lives. They will be men and women of power. The children of this house, the teenagers, the children, the babies of this house will be men and women of God. They will be powerful people walking in freedom, bringing others into freedom. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. May you have a great day tonight. Teaching is at 530. If you need prayer, please come and receive prayer.